Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist podcast. Um, yeah, it's it's great to be with you. Another episode. This time we're on episode one hundred and sixty-one, um, and this will be the last one of two thousand and twenty-one. Um, so have a great New Year, great great Christmas, great holidays wherever you are in the world. Enjoy it. Uh, we had some great news today. Um, we were included. If you if you outside of the UK. Every year there is there is something called the EdTech Fifty, which is published, uh, which which kind of showcases um, the fifty people organisations that are kind of leading the way in the world of EdTech in the UK. And we were we're proud that we were included in that list uh, for this year. So um, yeah, it's a it's a nice recognition for the for all the work that we put into the podcast. Yeah, and thanks, thanks, Lords, for those people who nominated as well. So we know that that comes from nominations from people in the public. So, and the judges that did that. So yeah, I don't. I'm not going to thank my mum and my cat and all their other things as well. But just wanted to say thank you. <laughs> Although your cat was vital in in the yeah. success. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, go check it out. Some some other amazing people uh, who've been guests on on the Edge of Futures podcast um, who have made it onto that list as well. So yeah, go check it out. Um, yeah, we earlier on this week uh, we interviewed Lord Jim Knight uh, about uh, education, AI, sustainability, and all of that. So check out that episode. That was a it was a great chat. Uh, second time uh, Lord Jim Knight has been on the podcast, so it was great to catch up with him. Uh, today we have another fantastic guest. Um, today's guest will be known to many of you who are in the the world of Google for Education. Um, we're delighted to welcome May Jew. Yeah, May is currently a program manager at Google for Education, and she's been at Google for over six years now. Uh, she leads the trainer and gig programs, and I'm sure she'll get into talking about what they are as part of the podcast today. She was born and grew up in, I'm going to say, Hunshu. I've probably said it wrong, and if I've said it wrong, May will hopefully correct me, in Taiwan, but moved to California when she was 12. She graduated from UC Berkeley. Berkeley, 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 Dan? Berkeley, Berkeley, yeah, Berkeley, Berkeley, yeah. Who knows? I got, I got all Steve words today. Uh, <laughs> and she got, she had a business major and education minor, but then worked in finance for a few years. And hopefully, we'll be able to talk about that today before she became a high school maths teacher. Uh, during her off hours, May loved to spend time with her husband Casey and a two and a half year old baby girl, Joel. Joel. So, thank you for joining us, May. Hi, hi Ben, hi Dan. I'm hi, happy man. to be here. And it's called Xing Chu. So that's how the yeah, it's very close. It's very close. Okay. In Chinese it's Xing Zhu. So it's very close to what you said. <laughs> well, that I, I got I, I, I was close on that one, but the Barclay and Berkeley, I got them on <laughs> But yeah, thanks thanks for joining us. I know that like I said in the intro, a lot of people will know you and will certainly know you from Twitter because you are super active on there. And you support those of us that are Google trainers um, in in, uh, in in doing what we do and getting us great benefits and supporting us with that. I know that when this episode goes out, there will be lots and lots of tweets, certainly from the UK team who uh, and the UK Geg team, Geg UK team that love all the work you do. So, yeah, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate that. I know here in the US we call it GEG. So, but I've heard Geg, and uh, it's always so funny that that I love that term. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, 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 we'll we we're happy if you prefer GEG. We call no, no, we'll Gigi. call it gag. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. So, um, you 
let's before we get into talking about Google and the stuff that you've done there and the work on the education program, you started out as a financial analyst. Um, yeah. and I did a, did a bit of research that was at Intel as well. You did to work at Intel, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. Talk to us a little bit about how you got into that and then maybe uh, how that then led to maths teaching because the, I know the link numbers are linked in there somehow, but it was, <laughs> uh, how, did that, how did that come about? Yeah, so great question. So I went to UC Berkeley as a business major. Um, I think just, you know, coming from a very, so I'm Chinese, coming from a very traditional Chinese household. Um, I, I've always actually wanted to work with kids, but just uh, my very conservative, like, Asian parents wanted me to go into business. It's, it was either, I don't know if you've heard of that stereotype, which was, it's, kind of true. It's either, you know, go into business or go into med, like go into medicine. And so, yeah, I chose business. It just seemed much easier than going to med school and then being a doctor and everything. Um, yeah. And so I majored in business, uh, particularly just a focus on finance. So after I graduated, that was my first job at uh, Intel as a finance analyst, which honestly, looking back, I don't remember at all what I did. I had no interest in that Um, When I was there, though, I had a really great team. So I had a good manager and a good team uh, who really encouraged me to kind of pursue my own passions. So I did a lot of like volunteering um, at our local elementary school and things like that. And so everyone there knew that that was something I was passionate about. So going from um, business major and going to a full-time job, um, then transitioning into teaching, which is what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to take that first step. Um, I did some research and realized that Teach for America, I don't know if either of you have heard of that org before. Yep. Yeah, Teach for America was the easiest transition way for me because I could get my teaching credential as I was teaching. So I didn't have to take time off you know, without income to go back to school and then go back to teaching. So that's the route that I took. I applied for Teach for America. Luckily, I got a spot in East San Jose, which is just 20 minutes out from where I lived. So I live here in California. Um, And I just have always been really good at math. So I placed in, you have to get tested and stuff. So I placed in to be a high school math teacher. And that's how I got my first job as, as a teacher there. And, you know, looking back, I loved the I love the opportunity that I got to be able to transition from finance to education in such a seamless way. But that org, um, you, I'm sure you've heard cons and pros of, of the Teach for America org, but I think it just, it didn't, it doesn't prepare you. You know, imagine without any context, no, no degree, no anything, you're just thrown into a classroom of um, the school that I taught you at was its first year in existence. So I joined the first year the school started, which was complete madness. I have so many stories to tell. Um, But yeah, I'm glad I did it. I think ultimately it's one of, I feel like it's the best job, I guess, aside from what I have now, the best job I've had. Um, And yeah, I think about, you know, one day going back to teaching at some point. So it's just always on my mind. That's amazing. I I entered teaching through this I suppose a similar route uh, in the mm. UK we call it an, an ITT uh, like initial teacher training route where I was given mm. a, I think I was given a 60% timetable on my first day uh, without without any sessions oh I think we had we had a week boot camp uh, okay I had before. that I had like a yeah. month boot camp yeah <laughs> yeah um, which which obviously was just like overwhelming and then all of a sudden I was in a class um, 
teaching and yeah loved it absolutely loved it and then and kind of learn on the job of how, of how to do that um it's interesting you said before about the the traditional chinese family mm-hmm. and expectations there i i didn't realize how and and i i, I could be generalizing here but i didn't realize how mm-hmm. how traditional chinese families were a couple of years ago i i, I spent chinese new year with a, with a mm-hmm. chinese family um, it was an amazing privilege to be able to celebrate the new year with with their family but just all the traditions that went into that into that mm-hmm. meal as was, it just amazed me by how because i think yeah i think probably um here in the uk where it were just probably a bit more laxed about things mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to the family and um, yeah it's I'm, just, I'm britishless we don't have any like british british traditions aren't really british yeah either, but, <laughs> but i just like, I, like mongrel nature aren't we <laughs> I, I just loved how that like the respect i think when the when the young children came into the room they would bow to oh to yeah, yeah yeah um and yeah I, I seem to remember there was lots of um shots of sake as well lots of <laughs> lots of toasts did uh, you get um a red envelope Oh, I can't remember. That's a, that's a big deal. There's like, that, right? I think the sake meant that I can't hmm. remember. To be honest, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just remember it, at any point anybody could offer a toast, and it was mm. very random. Um, and there was and quite, a few, quite a few toasts. So yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's yeah, awesome. it, it's it's kind of stuck with me. Just like the the formality of it was was, it was yeah. Um, but yeah, no the. How did so working as a as an an analyst uh, going into education did it mm-hmm. did it kind of prepare you for it did you were there things that you'd learned from that job and from your degree at, at Berkeley that you took into education in those early days Yeah so I think that's a good question I think you know on the logistics type of side like being organized being able like i at the school because i had that background in finance and at berkeley we use technology and even though that was even back then it was still not as prevalent in the schools still that was around 2012 i think and so i think um it, just having that background i was at my school the only teacher who knew how to use excel for example we didn't even use google sheets at the time it was like excel how do we manage different platforms so i think just having that background that technology that business sense helped me a lot in terms of being detailed organization and such um in terms of commanding a classroom and getting the attention and respect of the students. It helped me zero. (laughs) Um, It was, I think that first year I struggled very hard because if you, if I stand up, so I'm only five, three, I don't know if, does that mean anything to you? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do some things in Imperial. We do height and weight in Imperial, but everything else is metric. That's so interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I'm very short. And so in a class of, so I taught high school and the the school I taught at were ranging from freshmen to seniors. And I would say the majority of them were all taller than me. So imagine this like little Asian girl coming in, um, trying to command respect, trying to, you know, tell people to stop talking when they don't know who I am. I have no um, you know, I don't have any relationship with them. And I'm like looking up at them trying to be like, Hey, you know, listen, yeah, it was very, very difficult that first year. Um, I think by the second year, I think it's just, you have to, you kind of just like you, you just internalize that you can't let what they say or what they do care, you know, matter to you. And I think kids see that and kids are so smart 
And once they see that, oh, you actually don't care if I say F you to your face, then maybe I won't say it because I don't get a rise out of you, you know? And so that's a very, that's a key thing that I learned going into my next year of teaching, which honestly, like I was mentioning was the, probably one of the best things I've done so far. You know, we all have them crazy stories of the first few years of teaching. I know Dan has them and I did as well. I, I regularly talk about 8G on a Tuesday and a Friday afternoon. So we had a class that was a year eight class, so 12 and 13 year olds, mm-hmm. um, boys. And I taught religious studies, Dan did as well. <clears throat> so in, oh, the UK, cool. in the UK, that was, and, and the schools that we were in, it was everybody was taught it, not whether they had a choice or not. Um, and so most people weren't interested in religion yeah. anyway, and they, weren't, and they weren't interested in philosophy or any of the ethics <laughs> stuff with it. But then you've got bottom set, so like the, the, the lowest ability students in year in that year group, on a Friday afternoon, oh, I used to dread that day. Yeah, uh, and and they used to run rings, and even, even like you said, I I used to run a football team to try and get them on side. I would get I would go yeah. out at lunchtime and talk, talk to them and try, but still, <laughs> it was well yeah, hard. it was so hard. Oh my gosh. Honestly, like that, you saying that gives me flashbacks because I do remember there are certain classes that I had had and like. It was like the night before every night, actually, I, I, I'm like dreading the next day because I'm like that amount of disrespect to you is like when you are talking and just 30 people in the classroom are just talking like you're not there. That type of like it's it's hard to explain to someone who's never been in that situation, that type of like embarrassment and insecurity that you feel, you know, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think I did. Um, before I was a teacher, I did a bit of stand-up comedy, and no there's way, a, there's so much similarity there. Oh, the fact that you've got to stand on a stage and make people pay attention to you and 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 get to win them over. There's, there's, oh, there's that's a, so nice. Yeah, of, yeah. But uh, it's interesting because I, when he was talking, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday who who's he's not a teacher, but he he said he'd quite like to go into teaching. Um, and you told him, "Don't do it." Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was. I think like. I, in his mind and i said this to him at the time i was like i think you've got this image of like you know like the movie dead port society with robin williams mm-hmm. where he's going to go in yeah. and inspire them they're going to be stand, standing on the tables chanting his name because he's so inspiring uh, like it's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's, it's a bit different to that <laughs> yeah that's so funny and so true but i, I think does that, I got it that tattooed top... on my arm because of that film i got caught oh, really? in because of, no because way of that, because that's what I thought when i was teaching and i thought that's what it was going to be like that's absolutely true honestly oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting because is it's probably those moments that we're talking about that make the good times even better, I guess. I mean, yeah. So it's funny you say that because I actually, so I used to be pretty big about keeping a journal that I just like throughout, you know, even, even high school, college and stuff. So I'm glad I found it the other day when I was with my daughter, we're just looking at old stuff and I was looking at my journal and like every day was like, this is the worst day ever. This is the worst day ever. And then there's like glimpses of like, oh, this day where this one kid, you know, came up to me and and it got the thing that I was trying to teach in class and nobody got. And they were like, oh, it, you know, they felt so empowered. And like that one kid, that's what keeps you going. Like what you yeah. said, you know, like even though you have many, many, many days of people saying F you or I hate you or things like that. And then you t- 
touch one kid's life in that moment, that makes you want to go back the next year. And, you know, cause people are like, why, when I used to complain to my friends, like, why would you, why would you not quit if you're in such a like anxiety type of state? And it's like, it's because you know that, you know, you will be able to reach a couple students and then a few more. And then, you know, by the time you're feeling really confident, that's when you can touch and spread that impact in the classroom. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And then obviously um, this this kind of led in your time in education, led you to Google. Um, <laughs> and loads of people like when you when you say, yeah, we've got we've got a Google around the podcast or you're talking to people um, about working at Google. They're like, there's like this halo effect, isn't there? Like, <laughs> oh, if only we could work there and they've got a slide and they've got and they've got free food and they've got like <laughs> sleep pods and they've got all these like they've got pool tables. It's like it's cool. Like, how did that how did that come about? How did the job at Google come about? Yeah, yeah, good question. And actually, I have to attribute that to my finance background. So I actually when I was teaching, I taught for two years. And um, honestly, I I felt like when I went into teaching, I was going to be a teacher for life. Like that was kind of my goal. And then quickly when you know, it's, it's just impossible to live here in the Bay Area on a teacher salary, trying to maintain the level of living that I wanted for my husband and my kid and moving. I didn't have kids at the time, but that was something to me, like being a mom is probably my number one dream of growing up, you know? So knowing that, knowing we want to buy a house here in the Bay area and to be sustainable here, it was just impossible to make, I was making 50 K a year, you know, working a million hours, just like every other teacher here. Um, so yeah, luckily, and that was selfishly on my part. I, my, uh, students were actually juniors at the time going to be seniors. So they were going to be the first of their all, every single student was going to be the first of their families to graduate from high school to go to college. So that was a huge debate in my mind. Like, should I just stay one more year so that I can watch them and help them go to college or not? Um, and then it just, the selfishly, the opportunity came up where I went, uh, there was a job at Google in the organization called Compensation. So compensation is when we hire someone like Dan, maybe in the future you'll work at Google and I hire you and I will be, my job was how, how much does Dan get paid? You know, and then Ben, maybe Ben has competing offers from Facebook, from Apple. So then how much does Ben get paid? So that was my job using my background in finance. So yeah, luckily that I, in 2015, I think I landed my job in compensation and I actually did that for three and a half, three years there. Um, Yeah. And then I, Mm-hmm. Were you so when you were teaching? Were you were you using the Google for education tools? Were you in no zero? Right, yeah, okay. it was zero. Maybe I our school completely was not adopted to Google. We basically every other teacher that I knew used zero technology computers, and I had to beg my school to let my students have laptops. And you know, we did very basic type of things. Um, you know, with math, with Desmos, like the calculator and things like that. But it was very basic. Um, so yeah, it was very, very different at the time. And I think I went, I think a big part was I went to, I taught at a charter school that was brand new. So not, not anything bad on them, but honestly, they just didn't know what they were doing at all. The, at the curriculum, everything was self written by me, by other department heads. It was just a a mess at the time. Um, but yeah. And then, so I was in compensation for a few years. I loved it. 
Um, I loved my team. I love my manager, but I, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, well, I want to go back to education. Like what I, I, I don't want to leave Google. Cause Ben, you're right. There is free food. There's very nice things. If you want, ask me some questions. I'll tell you, you know, if it matches your ideal movie type of Google <laughs> or, or not. Well, the, the, the London office, obviously there's a few London offices okay, and, there's yeah. a, and there's a new one coming, isn't there? Um, that's been yeah. currently. and we, and we've, we've been to some of the London offices and they've got, they've got the bean bags and they've got the, they've got the, um, <laughs> what, what are they called? Like holiday hut type things. And, but yeah, they have um, nap pods. Like you can nap. Have you seen those nap pods? Have you seen those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And there's some that have got slides and all sorts of things, haven't they? Oh yeah. I not at where I am. Okay. I haven't seen slides. That's kind of crazy. Um, but I did, I actually did visit one of the UK offices. I think, I don't know where it's like near a train station and inside many levels and it's all clear. Like if you can see oh, yeah, all the, what, yeah. what's one is that? Um, is that the one at King's Cross? King's Cross. Yeah. 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 It's at King's Cross. Yeah. Have you guys been to that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one's very nice. I felt. Yeah. It's lovely. And, and there's the, what, what's, what amazes people when they go that thing, the, the free food thing is really like people are like, oh, they give you free food, but like, it's a great perk. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, there's not loads of places to do it, but it's not rocket science, is it? It's not. But, it, <laughs> but some people are like blown away and think it's unbelievable. That there's, yeah. there's food. There's food and drinks in the fridge. I and, know. I know. We we are very lucky to have that, and I I still feel really lucky that we have free. Well, I haven't been to the office in like a year and a half now, but excited for when we go back. Um, but you, you would it you'd be shocked to see that many of the Googlers are very entitled. And so I think they're so used to having things in the fridge that when they kind of swap out things or take away like water bottles, because they're trying to be environmental friendly to go with cups, you know, from the fountains of water bottles, people are so mad. And then me, I'm like, why you have so many things from Google? How can you still be upset with tiny things? You know, it's really interesting to see that. So how did you make the transition from from there to the education where you do, do yeah. you, were you even aware much of the of the education team no zero yeah i right. really wasn't because i didn't even use google when i was teaching you know but I, I knew there was google for education but i didn't know anything about it um back then also google for education i think is really just it is really difficult to get in that org I mean, there's not a lot of headcount there's no because people don't leave so once they're in, it's very small org because it's not really like a for profit or not, you know, like ads generating revenue and things like that. And so people don't leave Google for education once they're in. Um, but yeah, so I just I like set up some coffee chats with people who were in education at Google at the time that my manager connected me with. I just talked to them. Um, I guess one person liked me enough that they passed me pass along like, oh, I met this girl, May, to someone at Google for Education who was just hiring at the time. It was just like perfect timing. And then I think there were like, he was telling me there were like hundreds of people interviewing for that position, but it's, it was just like my role at Google sounded interesting and my background in teaching and like all these things stacked together that I just luckily got the job and I've been here since. And I feel like I, I'm not going to leave unless they kick me <laughs> out. I really enjoy <laughs> my job here. And and so, like, obviously, we talk about the what it's like being a Googler in terms of being in the office. And like you said a, a moment ago, not been in the office for a while. What, mm -hmm. For those people who don't know that world, like, 
the experience of being a Googler is 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 pretty is pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and and in terms of like not just like I said, not just those simple perks, but the whole concept of like what it what Googliness is and how they hire for Googliness and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think honestly, I and and I may be biased because I work at Google, but I do true. And my husband Casey actually works at Google as well, so we're very fortunate to be in that position. Um, but I think. Google is a company that cares about its employees first. And that's not, my husband used to work at Apple and Apple is not necessarily have that same mindset where Apple feels like Apple is the company and employees are lucky to be there. Whereas at Google, everything, they really serve the people that work here. They want to please us and make us happy. And so there are a lot of things, Ben, like you just mentioned too, that's like um, with hiring and, you know, hiring people, we try to make it a very fair process where multiple people are interviewing. And then we go to this thing called a hire committee where it's outside of your org. So it's less biasness. So it makes it a more of a fair process for hiring. You know, once you're in Google, there's a lot of, I think it's very understanding that like, you know, during this whole COVID thing, when we work from home, that there are those perks that's like, here's a thousand dollars to buy work, work from home equipment. Like, why do we need that? You know, we, we don't need, we already make, we already are, you're so generous with our salary. And now you're giving us more money to, you know, make us feel comfortable working at home. Like all those little things, it's not necessarily about the perk itself, but it's about feeling like you're cared for. And I really, really feel that here at Google. Um, and the side thing is I feel like our culture is really great, but, and I realize that this is not every team at Google. Like I've heard really poor teams at Google where they're struggling with their culture, but at least for me, the two teams I've been on in conversation and Google for education, the culture is, it's not a competitive culture. It's a very, like work together, build each other up, support each other type of culture. And I feel like that's really special too. Yeah. And it, and it, I was interested that you wondered if you go there with the culture, because a lot of people talk mm-hmm. about that, the, the, the conversation about culture and, and obviously the, the, the great book by Kim Scott talking about radical candor, obviously she was at Google and that whole concept. It's not just a, it's a, it's a high performance but, and mm-hmm. high accountability, but also a high trust. And that whole people talk about that, um, that twenty percent time, don't they, and that opportunity mm-hmm. to develop all those kind of things? It feels like it's it's not just a, like you said, a company that is about, and yes, it does make profit, it does very well for itself, and it's got great innovation. But it does feel like it values in, we, looking outside and knowing mm-hmm. to hear you talking to somebody inside, somebody values the employees, but also expects great things from them, uh, and because that whole phrase great power comes great responsibility and all that idea of with great skill and with great you've got great power at google in terms yeah. of um uh, in terms of the power that it wields that it, it expects a lot from staff as well yeah i mean you're spot on i think that's exactly right um i do think you know like the 20 percent you're talking about right now it's covid but before that i was talking with my manager and the leads on our team that you know I, like i was saying to you guys one of my biggest passions is working with students and I love my job now, but I don't get to work with students directly. I get to work with folks like you, Ben and Dan, who then work with other teachers who then work with students, but it's a very indirect effect. So they were saying that I could do a 20% like project um, of me going into a school and just teaching an elective or something like that uh, at a local school near me. So that's something that, you know, th- that has nothing to do with my job and it's not going to help my job in any way, but because they want, they know that by fueling someone's passion, that could drive more initiative in the work. 
Um, I think they really foster you as a human. And then, you know, it, they trust that it will trickle down to other areas in, in work as well. Yeah. And um, I, d- I do love that. I love the idea that there is that not, not, it's not even just about freedom. It's, it is a trust thing. And we were talking with Lord Jim Knight, as, as Dan talked about in the introduction. Uh, I'm not sure if you know, he was an education mm. minister um, for a previous Labour government. And he talked about all sorts of things about trusting teachers. Uh, and the idea that, that actually the whole, um, whole issue around national curriculums and standardised testing is probably because of an issue of a trust issue. But what you're talking about there at Google is that they give you things like 20% time because they trust people. And, and because there is accountability that sits with it, you can trust, can't you? And you can, and you can, and you can help do that. Yeah. So, so, so you, you've kind of intimated there about the work that you do now at Google in terms of uh, the trainer program and uh, GG gig stuff. <laughs> so uh, I, wonder, I wonder if you could just... Maybe talk to us about what that job looks like now uh, and, uh, and, and how you have a relationship with people like us. Yeah, great question. So when I first joined Google for Education, I actually was managing this other program um, that I and another teammate actually started from scratch at the time, and it was called Transformation Reports. So I don't know if that's big in the UK or not. Cool. Yeah. So that time, that was my baby when I joined Google for Education. It was a concept at the time, and we built it out into be transformation reports. So that was, if, if you can think back to that, that was more data focused. So like trying to get a school the, the report card basically on how they're using Google and then what can we advise them to do? So that was more in line with my background of being in finance and, you know, in, in compensation and working with numbers. Um, but then I went on maternity leave at the time. So right when it was about to launch, I took the, from the conception of the idea to when it was building. So right when I was about to launch, I went on maternity leave for six months. And at the time I was worried uh, coming back because I, I wanted to stay with this project because it was, I, it was like my baby from when it was created, you know, I wanted to continue. Um, of course I was reassured that, yeah, 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 that's your project. Don't worry when you come back, it's yours. And then when I came back, it, it all of a sudden it was like, oh, this project has been passed on. Here's a new need. Um, you need to manage the trainer and GG program. And at that time, I didn't really know. I mean, of course, I've heard of trainers and our innovators and such, but it wasn't very active. And just from what I've seen with other like people on my team managing it, it just wasn't like a big deal. And so I was annoyed um, at the time. But just now looking back, I'm so glad that this opportunity came like that transformation report compared to the work that I get to do as a program manager for trainer and GEGs can't even compare, honestly. Like I thought I liked that, but now this is like as close as it gets to my dream job, I think. And so, yeah, to answer your question on some of the day to day is, you know, as a program manager, you're the core thing that you're looking for is how do you place value into the program for your educators? So I think I have one of the few jobs at Google that can think about our educators first. Like my job is to think about how can I help and build relationships with our educators like you, Dan and Ben, and how can I give you guys things to help with your jobs to build our relationships and make that stronger? Because I think looking at every other job at Google, you know, we have marketing that's trying to you know, promote events and things. We have sales that's trying to sell Chromebooks and increase adoption. You know, everything is 
closely tied to the business, which is needed in order for a business to be sustainable. But somehow me, I got so lucky where I don't need to really worry about that as much. And I can just focus on the, the core thing, which we now call communities. We loop in trainer, innovator, GG. These are all communities. That's, you know, everyone at Google views is like the most special intangible part of Google for education, like the heart of Google for education. And I get to be the one that's like leading it. That's, you know, when people want to work with our communities, they go through me and so that we get to, you know, I connect with the educators. So I think, yeah, not to, you know, be cheesy, but I, I do think this is as close as it gets to my dream job of working and learning from teachers, working from educators who are doing such inspiring things that I would have never, when I was teaching, have even known or come across people like you guys. And yeah, it's, it's, it's such a pleasure and just really inspiring on a day to day. I love that where you were talking about building value in a community and adding value to a community. And I think um, it kind of replicates the concept that teachers and educators in their in their settings are trying to add value to their school communities aren't they and what you're doing is trying to mm -hmm. add value to them as a community and and it very much so for those people who aren't part of the trainer or innovator or, or, or gg communities um it's kind of hard to put into words sometimes um the kind of support and the things that go in the background not just not just from the google team but i mean the community as a, as, as a as a as a organism in itself so um i know that like dan mentioned earlier that we were, were nominated in that uh, and and shortly mm -hmm. and, and what were we called dan what we called uh, we're part of the edtech 50 whatever it was called um and the the amount of messages that we've had the tweets that have come from the community the the celebration and, and championing each other and also and that happens not just for us it's happening all around when we're seeing other people doing great things and winning awards mm -hmm. or making different, it feels like a, it does feel like a genuine community. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I know when I went to Innovator, we don't mention Innovator because Dan hasn't, Dan hasn't done it. He knew that that was, <laughs> he knew that that was going to come up today. He knew yeah. that that was going to come up. I was yeah. I've had two. I've had two children. Well, I I haven't had them. My, my partner's had two children uh, over the last two years. Just as the windows open, and I thought oh. prob probably not the most appropriate time to do it. Um, yeah, <laughs> we, 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 uh, mate. Honestly, we 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 wind up about that pretty much. It's yeah, pretty, if it's not every, if it's not every um, episode, it's not hard. And, and we joke about it because me and Steve still talk about it. I went to uh, Den eighteen, um, mm. and that whole. I still, I would say, still got friends now from, from that time that have supported and championed, uh, and we're championing other people doing great things around the world. I think that's what what I'm seeing from what you what, from what you're talking about here. It's about mm -hmm. building a community that supports each other, champions each other, and then how do we work together? That whole conversation about collaboration and uh, and learning from each other and not reinventing the wheel because it's hard. Teaching's hard. Um, it's not well paid. It's not, it's not always as easy. We talked about them early years, but even if you've been teaching 20 years, you'll still have days or lessons that are a nightmare. But when you've got a team of people that have got resources that you can borrow or that have got, um, that got you back when things aren't great, it's, it's, it's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I really want to talk to that. I, I think especially during COVID and I already felt this before COVID happened. And, uh, you know, when I took over the trainer program, I felt like, there was not a lot of, um, at least just speaking of trainers specifically, that there was not a lot of um, collaboration within, I think just at some point it kind of fell off the communication. 
So that's something that I really wanted to focus on when I came and took the program over is I want to make sure that people feel like they can collaborate and share resources and such. And so I feel like, you know, luckily I had a year before that COVID hit to kind of build up that culture within our, our org. And I feel like, you know, within our program and people were bought in. So when COVID happened, it was crazy. Like I saw so many people come across the world, come together to share ideas. Um, I'm sure you know of uh, that global GG that was created, you know, out of, and there's a lot of people from, I don't know if you guys are in it, but I know like Abed in UK gag is in it as well. And so just like things that came out organically trying to help other people just simply even by connecting on an emotional level or sharing resources with one another, like that's so special. And you know, obviously there's a lot of things that we can improve on in our communities. We can build the culture even better. We can, you know, increase our diversity. We can give more resources to folks. And yes, those are all things that we're working on, but just, I feel really proud, you know, that our communities are so willing to help each other out, to be there for each other. And I, I want you to, and whoever's watching to know also that people here at Google really feel that. And I feel like it's, increasing exponentially each year of how much they value people in our communities. Like anytime something, you know, an exciting thing happens and they want to share the news or they want to be able to, you know, get someone to host a cool event with us, like partnership opportunities. Now, the first thing they do is they come to me, me and they're like, who, you know, connect us with our, your communities because they're so special. Every event that we've had, like the Anywhere School, you know, you guys on, on Twitter is, is huge, you know, publishing like infographics and resources and just tweeting about things. And it's like that type of intangible impact that spread that you guys have that power of, you know, you guys probably each have thousands of people following you on Twitter and such as just having that spread of the impact is incredible. And Google recognizes that more than ever right now. And that's why I think, you know, like you guys being in the training program, I'm able to give more resources, trying to get more benefits out to you guys, because even though we're, we're not making money by giving benefits to the groups that, you know, ultimately they know that the communities are the heart of Google for Education and it's way more being recognized now, but now by our leadership and things. So it's, it's really good to see. Yeah. And I think, Whenever I, when I think of Google, I think it's it's not just a, another platform for me. It's like it's it's not just a, a one of many different platforms that a, a school or a, or a district can go with. Mm -hmm. it, there seems to be more of a there's a culture that's behind it. I know we've touched on a bit of that. We've touched on kind of that culture, and I I guess and it's it's a question. I'm going to ask a question, but there's no agenda behind it whatsoever. I'm yeah. really curious. Um, is uh, what's in it for Google? So why why are Google why have Google got education products and why um, why are why are they helping like some of the amazing stuff that you were just talking about? Those building those communities. Um, what? Yeah, I guess what. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I mean, yeah, good question. And I don't want to speak on behalf of Google. So this is just my own thoughts. I don't want to, you know, get in trouble with whoever is up there. 
But my, my own thought is, I think there are two things. One is that Google as a company, like we mentioned before, genuinely cares about people. So Google's one of Google's um, mission statements is we want everybody to be able to use the internet, to be able to have access to resources, right? And every single person. So that's kind of what Google for Education feels as well, is we, we feel like we have a really great product that fosters collaboration, you know, increases student empowerment and things. And we want that for everybody. Um, so that's one. It's out of the goodwill of Google that we just want to be able to share stuff with the world because we think it's one of the best and it's beneficial. Now, of course, that's not sustainable if we don't make money, if we don't, you know, drive revenue and, and things. So the other side is like Google Workspace now, which I know people are, are many people are very furious about that we increase some of the prices with different features of the you know there's a paid editions and they're free editions and why can't google just all be free you know if you're trying to benefit the industry why are you trying to charge people for it and that's a really tough line especially for people like me who feel who who come from the educator background and really feel for that where as a teacher as a school you have no money so to then ask you know to to pay more for premium features it's really difficult but from the google standpoint it's you know we have to make some revenue in order to sustain the business things like community where it seems like we're not directly bringing in money from giving benefits to the communities like hosting innovator cohorts that cost so much money you know to run one of those the reason why we do that is ultimately we think by empowering those who like Dan and Ben yourselves who are so big in the EDU industry that has so much impact that the trickle down effect like the spread that you guys can have on other teachers, it's worth it for us because it's worth that adoption. It's worth, you know, keeping people on Google and not, you know, it's worth that retention ultimately. So it's all those intangible factors that ultimately, yes, it ties with the business line, but it's also because we just want to share our great products with everyone. But really good question, Dan. Yeah. And I guess you like, I, I don't think you have to justify the fact that it's some of it's not free. I, in no other walk of life would we just expect a, a, a world-renowned product for free. Yeah, give it to me, please. Like, it's, <laughs> it, so I think that argument teachers is do. we teachers do we do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we feel yeah, like we, yeah. we're entitled to it. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but there's still the, the even though the the new structure of of the of it is there's still like a, an entry level where you don't have to pay as well so you don't yeah you don't you don't have to you can still enjoy a lot of the features anyway mm -hmm. um yeah i yeah i guess it's just i suppose we see like a lot of the the big tech innovators getting into education and mm -hmm. and it's and i think a lot of people kind of think well like why are they doing that and yeah and but i think I think the kind of the impact speaks for itself, yeah. um, especially when it comes to Google and the impact it's had on on educa educators and and transforming um, education. I mean, just to look at those those schools, colleges, universities that were that were using Google before the pandemic, and and how much they've thrived um, mm -hmm. since since that first lockdown, and that that that's very much down to what was available to them from Google in in the first place. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, are you seeing now that the pandemic's kind of we've we be well, it's not I keep wanting to say now that the pandemic's over, but <laughs> very much not over at all, is it? Um now that we're we're nearly two years into the pandemic, um 
are you seeing those communities of trainer innovator um level one level two the the gegs are they are, have they grown a lot with as more schools and districts get to grips with ed tech yeah i mean definitely yes especially i would say this year you know you're right pandemic is not over but it's kind of people are going back to the normal life even though it's not over but last year especially 2020 we've seen like a huge surge in in, in, our, in everything you know i won't go into the specifics but in chromebook selling in buying workspace in our community growth in training people it's ex exponential the growth that has happened over the pandemic and i feel like it's, it's really telling the, how powerful the communities are, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's nothing. And it, I feel like you have to take some time to really be proud of yourselves because it's not like Google encouraged the community to go train other people. It's you folks trainer program saw a need in the space that you're in. You saw that, wow, everyone is remote, but half my colleagues have never used Google Meet or Zoom, or how do we, you know, how do they even teach? And so you host trainings. Like I heard so many anecdotes and stories from our trainers who are like, oh yeah, I conducted a training for hundreds of my colleagues because they've never used it before. And, you know, now they can facilitate and do Google Meet in a meaningful way. So it's so powerful. And, and I heard loads of stories in the same way of people, not even in their own organisations, realising there's a local school down the road or their kids went to a school and the teachers didn't know how to use it and they needed somebody to go and set it up and, the t and trainers have just gone and supported them for yeah. free. And, and like, uh, what I, I saw some really nice things about some local colleges that were supporting some of the primary schools with, with tech and equipment as well for their teachers because they just didn't have it. And I just think that, that level of community w w was great and i think i think we've we've seen that throughout um the last few years i think that's right. been something that sharing it and i know that in the uk things like the edtech demonstrator program that have been supporting others and, and the uk mm -hmm. team that have done that have done that have a phenomenal job and i think um from from us as edgy futurists i think uh, sometimes we don't always recognize or be able to get chance to recognize that and i think publicly in this space to to thank the team that pulled together to train and demonstrate and get other people using technologies. I think um, yeah. massive kudos, massive thanks. I think I think as we kind of think about this going forward then, and I think this is the, obviously a lot of the technology training was, like you said, expedited and, and grew exponentially because of a, of a crisis that, mm -hmm. that forced it. Um, and I wonder whether what your thoughts are, and I know that you, you're speaking for yourself, not necessarily for the mm -hmm. whole of Google on this, about the future uh, and what the future of education might look like or the, why, why training for staff might be really important going forward. Yeah, great question. I mean, I feel like, of course, I don't want to. I don't want to say that. Oh, the pandemic um, was ultimately a good thing because it, no, it's it's horrible. Everything that has happened to people's families and everything. But the one light, I guess, coming out of that is that people are way were forced to use technology. So people who didn't before at schools where they could kind of cruise by, they never wanted to adopt. Now they were forced to do it. And I think getting more people online, more people using technology, students getting adopted into using Chromebooks and laptops, 
I think that really changes how the it, it sets up our future. Basically, it really changes that innovation that a school can potentially have when 100% of your teachers are online. There's so many more innovative things that you can do, not just classroom wide, but school wide of, you know, more collaboration, more creative groups and you know, student empowerment, student technology groups that you can build up. So I feel like, you know, from the Google for Education standpoint, it's really exciting. I think our products, like our product team, will try hard to keep up with the feature requests that educators need. And, you know, if the educators continue to use Google and Google is able to improve Google Classroom, for example, to where it's more of an LMS or, you know, increase different features in Google Meet and Jamboard and really build up that collaboration, that critical thinking type of thing for the students. I think there's just so many possibilities and it really opens that door for the future. So it's an exciting time to see so many people adopt to technology right now. Yeah, I really love how collaborative that process feels uh from the teacher mm -hmm. on the ground to the the developers at google for education mm -hmm. uh, the fact that like i remember when ben was talking just before as well i remember during the pandemic in the early days um messaging dean stokes um mm -hmm. and and going dean like we really need this it was i think it was a feature in google meet because we just started doing online lessons i was like we i can't remember the feature but i, mm -hmm. I was like we, we really really need this feature it um, was breakout range then it probably happened a few times i'm sure the one time it was like maybe a security yeah. feature as well and i was like we really really need this and and he was like i'll I'll try and get the ticket pushed up the line yeah. and then within like a month or two it, we, that feature was available within the product and the fact that it's it's so responsive to to yeah. what the teacher needs and and we were talking we had Absolutely. alice keeler on the podcast a, few, mm. a couple of weeks ago and she was talking and, and and a lot of people who create resources around Google for Education know mm -hmm. the big issue is that once you create a resource around Google for Education, you can guarantee within a few weeks, it's going to look a bit different. There's going to be another feature. <laughs> that feature is going to have moved somewhere. And I think, I think it's such a great thing because it's because it's because the developers are reacting yeah. um, the, the, the feel of it and the, the user experience is getting better all of the time. Um, and to, to for a teacher in a classroom in the northeast of england in a town that nobody's ever heard of to be working with developers it is yeah. here sat in an office in california trying to try like suggesting and 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 getting features that are gonna change education worldwide is is an, am an amazing experience for for those yeah. teachers who, who do do that yeah, I mean, I, I really want to echo that fact because it's true. Like our develop it, some people may think our product team does their own thing and we don't, we don't really look out for what teachers want, but that's not true at all. And that, that great example you gave about Dean, Dean, who's so wonderful. He, he did, I, I know that he did do that. He did submit that to the developers. He did push things up, you know, and our, product team really does care when we have so I don't know if either of you have attended this, um, this PD that we've been having every quarter with led by future design school, if you haven't, you should sign up for the next time that is I'll, I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up. But um, every quarter we do this PD and at the end those trainers and innovators and coaches who attend, they request some product features. So they compile in a deck for us. And every single quarter, the product team uh, I, I tag the product team into the deck and I'm saying here are the top product features 
And they value that even above the regular ticket submissions because they know this is coming from our communities and they know our communities of coaches, innovators, and trainers are the, you know, like one, like Ben, for example, touches so many other educators that they know that the value of what you're requesting is even more powerful because it's the voices of many, you know, so our communities really is, they, they just respect you guys so much. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I echo your points there as well, Dan. Where you were talking about uh, feature requests, and it just it kind of feels like it. There's even the the loop clause, so I get a thank you, and I've had that a few times where I get an email saying thank you that you requested this feature, and now it's a feature that exists. So <laughs> I, I really want a dashboard in Google Classroom, so it's out there in in the world. I, I really feel like a dashboard in Google Classroom just needs to exist at some point. <laughs> to be able, and and I, I put it in a feature request loads of times, but obviously. Um, now I've said it on the Edge Futures podcast as well. Uh, the, I'm now sure it's gonna, there, yeah. There must, there must be some. There must be some product managers that listen to this at some point. Of course, <laughs> I'm gonna send it to everyone at Google here after this. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I think in terms of like you've got a, a real collaborative approach to education, a future focus, design thinking that like you were talking about there, a focus on innovation, and I think you you were talking about. Um, the training team, the training mm -hmm. program, and the trainers, coaches, innovators that exist. And um, Dan asked you earlier about the purpose and about why. Uh, and, and I wonder um, if there is, because at some point there's going to be a saturate. Is there going to be a saturation point where we've got too many of these people, mm. or is, is there ever is there ever is there ever going to be too many? Yeah, I mean, good question. And and that's a debate, actually. People have very different thoughts on this. And I can share my own opinion. Um, I think, you know, there are some folks feel like by a program being limited in the number of people who are in it, it makes it exclusive and makes it cool and makes it prestigious. You know, only 500 innovators, let's say, are in the innovator. That's what makes innovators cool. And it's limited. And I feel cool to be in it. I actually truly feel the complete opposite. I feel like if we have a program that is awesome, that's actually benefiting people, I would want, let's say our trainer program, every single educator in the world to become a trainer because we aren't to get to a trainer, to get to an innovator. There's a bar that we have that's pretty high. You know, you need to meet all these criterions. You need to get that L1, L2. You need to be so-and-so. You need to train people. You need to have this background, this degree and stuff. And so that bar is already there and we're not lowering it for people to join, but we're keeping it there. However, if we can go out into the field and we can elevate educators who normally may not know about the programs and elevate them and encourage them to meet that bar, to push themselves to grow professionally and to, you know, take that next, next step. I would love it if every single educator becomes that great enough to get into our Google community. And this way, me, instead of serving just a few thousand people in our communities, I can serve hundreds of thousands, which means every single educator on the ground can get, you know, a free one year subscription to StreamYard that they don't need to pay out of pocket when they are teaching students. Like if we can do that without lowering the bar of people to get in, I, I would love that. And I think I strongly believe that a program needs to be good, needs to be prestigious, needs to be you know, great in value because of what we offer, not because of the number of people that were limited to go in, but because we are that good. Like, like Google as a company, Google 
it has millions of or like hundreds of thousands of employees and Google is still cool. You know, even though Google is expanding and growing, Google is still that legit and still that cool. So that's kind of my view on how our program should grow. But yeah, interested to hear your, I know we're out of time, but maybe a line or two from you two on your opinions too. I, I, I agree. I think a rising tide lifts all ships, doesn't it? So I think um, letting people in uh, and supporting more people to do it. Um, I'm a massive advocate of getting people trained and mm. uh, doing, doing I've even literally twice this week, I've done two sessions where I've been saying ed educator training is, is, is even, even the certification is worth it. It's worth doing it. So yeah, I, I, I am with you on that. I agree. Yeah, definitely. I think even if a trainer's training two people, or training 10 people or training 500 people like that they're, they're a trainer aren't they and and to be valued in in the spheres where they're they're working is a is a massive boost to, mm -hmm. to be involved in that um yeah just as as we as we uh kind of come to a, a close i i guess you probably can't answer this question but i'm gonna <laughs> ask it anyway uh, uh what is there anything exciting uh on the horizon for that google for education users uh, can look forward to yeah, I mean, yes, in short, there is. <laughs> and you're right that I, <laughs> that I can't give any specifics because we're working hard on the back end for it. But what I can say is communities more and more is being such a bigger focus in Google for Education in general. So we're going to do whatever we can to throw more money, throw more resources, throw more headcount into building up our communities and doing what's best for our educators. So that's something that you can look out for in the longer term next year or two that our companies will be even better, hopefully, and even stronger and more resources for you guys. And I think in the short term, we're partnering a lot more closely with our product team, our UXR, which is user design, user research team, to get our communities closer to that process of product designing. So getting not only when, you know, you guys are very involved now when a product comes out and you're saying, oh, what's lacking here or what could be changed and they change it and increase the, you know, different things for you guys. But what about at the onset? So before even the ideas in place or the, the ideas formulating and the, the design is not even set, how can we loop in community members like yourself to provide that what you want on the onset and then go to the product team to build? So yeah, that's something really exciting. I don't have any tangible things to share at the moment, but that's in the works. And I'm really excited to just bring Google closer to educators and vice versa. Love it. Like we, mm -hmm. um, that's, that just, it sounds like, um, it sounds exciting as well because it feels like we, we we're making an impact and it's not just yeah. uh impact in the classroom it's obviously a wider impact as well so yeah 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 man thanks for joining us um all the way from california uh mm -hmm. have what what time is it there now because i know it's, it's it is 11 30 a.m in the morning yeah it's half seven in the evening so I'm about i know you guys gotta go go eat your dinner yeah <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the rest of the day yeah thank you and, and hopefully we'll we'll speak soon thanks for joining us thanks for yeah. joining us man thank, thank you, you both so much it's such a pleasure talking to you both dan and ben thank you thank you